Well, good morning, everyone. I don't know um, whether you enjoyed the time of prayer and fasting that we had as a church. I don't know if you joined in with it. I know lots of people did. And uh, I don't know whether you find fasting easy or natural. I find it really hard. I'm someone who thinks about food an awful lot of the time. Uh, My dad was exactly the same. It's in the family. It's often in my mind. And so to fast is difficult for me. Anyone else find fasting difficult? Oh, good. There's quite a few of us then. Um, And and I think one of the reasons for that is a sort of entitlement that I'm used to having two or three meals a day. And actually, when we go without, uh, it can be difficult. And I was a bit annoyed with myself on Monday because instead of feeling more spiritually fed, I felt more hangry. You know, when you just feel a little bit hangry and I was reacting a little bit more uh, than perhaps I normally would because of that. But one thing I did really enjoy was my Tuesday night meal. I absolutely loved it. It was almost like I'd never tasted food before. And I think that is one of the joys, actually, of fasting, that actually when we go without and then we taste the joy of food once again, we are grateful people, and it's almost like it's for the first time. And it was a beautiful time where God really spoke to us. If you were here on Tuesday night, we heard God say to us through passages in Ephesians particularly that he was pleased with his church, that he loved us, that he delighted in us, that we were his bride. We were reminded that actually in his righteousness were a bride without blemish that he rejoices in, that he loves. And I think we need to have that as our mindset when we come to look at this series, because I wonder if we'd called the series Giving, whether we'd all have a slightly different posture. If we say we're going to do a service on giving or a series on giving even, there might be a sense of guilt that descends. And we think, oh gosh, I'm going to feel bad. But the lovely job I have this morning, and I'm grateful for it, is that we are going to look at the generosity of God towards us, because really that's what this is all about, our response to his kindness and his generosity. And in the verses that uh, were read for us by Ben, we have this picture of the abundance of riches that Paul is reminding the Corinthian church that they have. And he's saying almost, why are you so scared? Why are you so nervous? about giving it all away because God has been generous to you. Psalm 104 verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all and all the earth is full of thy riches. As we look at images of creation, I don't know how many of you enjoy David Attenborough, but I know many, many people do. And one of the reasons we love watching his documentaries is because we see beauty, we see detail, we see transcendence in creation. If you look at these images, just these three images on the screen, the first uh, is the flower. If you just look at that, is this a god who doesn't care about us? Is this a God of mediocrity and beige and restraint? Or is it a God of order and detail and intricacy? Look at the next picture. A God of power, a God of depth when we look at the sea. The words that come into our mind when we see how he has lavished his power on us. And then a sunrise, if we look at this picture, 
I don't know how many of you see the sunrise, but when we do or we see the sunset, there's something as he lights up the sky that causes me to worship him. And for me, one of the ways that I lift my soul when I speak to my spirit is through creation, through the beauty. It's difficult for us here in Birmingham. We can't just stroll down to the beach. I wish we could. But we can immerse ourselves in the beauty of nature. And God is generous to us through all of creation. Jesus was really concerned about stuff getting in the way of our acceptance of God's generosity. When we look, and we're going to look at this as the series go on, 16 of Jesus' 38 parables are about money and stuff, possessions. In the Gospels in the New Testament, I read this this week, an amazing one out of 10 verses deal with the subject of money. So we know this is something that Jesus is passionate about, but he's passionate about it, as Paul says, for our freedom, not for our duty. That actually he knows that we are so free when we are looking like God and being generous. And he is generous by nature. He is generous towards us. And he is generous towards the world he has made. And I think for the sake of the world, should say on that, uh, on that third bit there. He's generous by nature. He is generous towards us. And he is generous to the world he has made. I read this this week about the beauty of our world. Let's just focus on these words. They're not my words, but I found them really inspiring. God did not stop at creating life and breath and sustainability. Beyond our survival, the Bible says he considers our delight. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. He made seas and mountains and rivers. He made 750,000 species of insect, 400,000 species of flowers, 200,000 species of edible plants, 100,000 species of birds, and stars too numerous to count. Every good thing a person, whether they be a believer or not, enjoy is a life, is a gift from God. He created our universe with perfect elegance and complexity. He designs with superfluous creativity. He has given us senses, sight and sound, touch and taste and smell, so we can experience the richness of these gifts. The provider of our needs is also the never-ending source of our pleasure. And there's something in that as we look at the, the absolute lavish nature of creation that helps us get a glimpse of the generosity of our God. He is generous to us. Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And if you look at Paul's language, it's fulsome, it's joyful, it's not duty-bound, but it's joyful. Abounding, abundance, blessing coming out of the bounty of grace. Francis Chan, who many of you might have read his book, Heavenly Man, uh, he talks about the fact that he has never met a super generous person who is unhappy. He has never met a super generous person who is unhappy. 
that actually there is freedom. And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you are richly blessed and there will be bounty and blessing and freedom when you become open-handed and open-hearted. Giving is not something we do, it is something we are. It's not something we do, it's something we are. Why? Because we were created to reflect a beautiful, generous God. Paul says, Now he who supplies all the seed to the sower and the bread for food will increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. If we look at the imagery that Paul is using, he's looking at seed, he's looking at bread, not to store up, but to share. Those images from Isaiah that he's referring to. To be those who plant, who share with others. One of my teachers in life was a Bulgarian child in an orphanage. We were there over 20 years ago with the charity that I worked for at the time. And we were going to an orphanage called Dragodanovo. And it was like a Second World War prison camp when we drove up to it. We were coming with covers for every bed that had been sewn by women specifically for every child so that they had a cover for their bed. And I'd never been anywhere like it before. And as we were driving towards it, there was that feeling of dread. What if I say the wrong thing? How will I help them? What if I want to take them all home with me? All those things that we naturally would feel as we went to arrive. It was grey. It was foreboding. There was barbed wire. There was a speck of colour and I just thought God what are you doing here and there were children there some of the children were there for stealing potatoes for their family and I just thought I don't know how I'm going to navigate this and then out of the door at the front came this absolute kind of tidal wave of colour and joy which was the children, in misshapen outfits and things that didn't quite fit them. And the joy on their faces is something that I will never forget. They came to greet me. One put their hands straight in mine. And we went to put the covers that the women had sewn on each of their beds. Uh, I hadn't sewn any of them. I think they'd suffered enough so that I hadn't been uh, part of that. But they were beautiful. They were crafted so beautifully and put on every bed. And there were tables by every bed. And it was a bit like prisons in this country, that by your bed, on your table, were your possessions. Whatever you actually had, your stuff was there on the table. And some children had about five teddy bears or different things, colouring books or whatever. But the little boy who took me to show me his bed had just one thing, which was a calendar. And it was a calendar just lying on his table. And I said to one of the women, does he have nothing else? She said, no. That was what he had, just a calendar. And he loved it so much. And he showed it me. And he kept going like this. And he couldn't speak English, but he was pointing. And I was being ridiculous, stroking the, you know, the animals, going, oh, how beautiful. Look at this fox. Look at this fox. How lovely. Stroking it, going, this is beautiful. How lovely. Trying to make him feel better about the possession that he had in my own kind of Western way. And we went away and we were just about to leave the orphanage at the end of the day. We'd done some drama with them and done some games with them. And it had been a really incredibly touching and beautiful day. But as we went to get onto the coach, a little hand came into mine and sort of tugged at my skirt. And there in front of me was this same little boy with the calendar for me. Going for you, for you. 
And everything in me, of course, as we would be, was like, oh, no, 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 that's yours, that's yours. It's literally the only thing, perhaps, that he had as a possession by his bed. And yet he said, no, for you, like that, because he had seen me making a fuss of it. And that has been one of my life's teachers. I kept that calendar for years afterwards. I'm not quite sure where it is now. But I kept it as a reminder of what the Bible says is true, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the joy on his face, and I assume that perhaps he just, whatever he got, he gave away. And that's, I think, what Francis Chan is saying. I think that's what Paul is saying, that the more that we hoard and cling to things, we are not scattering the joy that has been given us through the generosity of God. That all of our giving, whether it's our time, our gifts, our money, is a response to his generosity. Jesus said, freely you have received, in Matthew 10, freely then give. Therefore be rich towards God, he says, at the end of Luke 12. Whoever will save their life will lose it. All of the time, Jesus is trying to show us, by his life and by his teaching, that the pathway to joy, the pathway to life, in all of its abundance, is through being open-handed and open-hearted. There's a quotation here that is anonymous, but I think is really helpful for us. When we finally acknowledge that it's all God's anyway, we will feel the spiritual fingers loosen their grip on things. You'll finally experience the release from the crushing burden of thinking you have to hoard everything that comes your way. It's not ultimately up to you. You can let go now. And I love that last thing. You can let go now. Because we have a scarcity culture. It's the air that we breathe. We are told all of the time, often about what we lack. We see what other people have that we would love to have in our lives. And yet that reframes everything. It reframes it as we loosen our grip. We will finally experience the relief from the crushing burden of thinking we have to have everything that comes our way. A lot of the teaching that I've been reading on generosity and we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks is that things come through our hands, not into our hands. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth here. He's saying you've been given much. Don't be hesitant with it because the great delight is to share it with the poor, to scatter the poor and to join in with his righteousness. And Frank once said, no one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. When I look at characters in the Bible, and I look at Jesus, particularly in his interactions with everyone, you see this generosity lived out by every encounter that he has. He's the one that adds to the situation with generosity, whether that's his time sitting with a woman at the well, whether he's adding healing, whether he's adding teaching and truth and salvation. He is the one through the generosity of God that is adding to the lives of the people. And one of the people that most experiences that is Zacchaeus, one of my favorite characters in the Gospel of Luke. And he's eager to meet with Jesus. He's eager to be seen by him, to be found by him. He knows that he has too much stuff, that he's cheated people, that he's lived as money as his God. And when Jesus comes to his house and shares in his hospitality, he says, I want to give half of all of my possessions away to the poor. And he says, if I've cheated anyone, I will pay back four times the amount to them. Why? 
because he's experienced grace. Because suddenly a man who does not deserve the grace and generosity and love of God realizes that actually he has been loved, rescued, saved and forgiven. And so his response is open-handed. His response is open-hearted. From someone who has hoarded wealth to open hearts and open hands. And I wonder if Paul is able to write like this when he's speaking to the Corinthian church with authority because he knows himself just how much he too has been forgiven by the generosity of God. He has learned to be content with all things and with nothing. He's been content whether he's been in prison or whether he's been living his best life for God. He has loved his life since he's met with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Why? Because everything is a response, like Zacchaeus, to the generosity and grace of God. Jesus was born in a borrowed stable. He preached in a borrowed boat. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He ate a Passover meal in a borrowed room. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was not making his home here. He was passing through. And we get that model in Jesus. And it's true for us. This is not our home. The best is yet to come. We are passing through just as Jesus was. And so the sense of living a borrowed life was deliberate by Jesus to show <clears throat> that actually this is not our ultimate destination. That in a way we're with borrowed stuff. All that we have is gift from God. Everything that we have, as James says, as we looked at last year, all good things flow from him. C.S. Lewis says, do not let your happiness depend on something you might lose. Isn't that the truth? But actually joy is something way deeper than our happiness. It is about the sense of sacrifice and surrender that every single one of us can know. James chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that is Jesus, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he had created. In other words, everything that is good that you and I have is from him. And I've been, as I've been preparing for this talk this week, just starting my days by trying to just list all the ways that God has been good to me. And I will run out every single day because he has been so, so good to me. If we earn 30,000 a year or more, we are in the top richest 1% in the world. Now, that may not be true for all of us here. It certainly won't be. But for many, it is. And we either look at that with a sense of guilt and oppression, or we look at that and think, God, you have blessed us in the UK. Even though we are living through one of the hardest times, that actually the trouble with that is it makes us see all of the time what we lack. One of the lovely things about ministries like the pantry and money advice, particularly witnessing the pantry, is where people find so much of a gift and want to share it. And we've seen that a lot, that when something really good turns up, people want to say, well, you have this and you have this. It's not a hoarding thing. It's actually a generosity thing. Why? Because people have been given something that actually shows them they are loved, that they are heard, and that they are seen. 
We can trust him. And I know that every person here and joining us online will come with something perhaps that we are scared about, scared about losing, maybe even scared about giving away. Maybe the scarcity culture, as it had for Zacchaeus and as it has for many of us, has got into us. And we're always thinking about, if I could just have this, if I could just change this. But I believe that God wants to say to us by his spirit today, let's be a grateful people who count as blessing and kindness everything that we have and all that we enjoy in the generosity of God, in his grace, in his forgiveness, the fact that he forgives us every morning our mercies under him are new. Thomas Merton says this, Surrender your poverty to him. For whenever you understand or whether you don't understand it, God loves you. He is present in you. He lives in you. He calls you. He saves you with an understanding and kindness like nothing you ever read in a book or heard in a sermon. I'll just read that again. Surrender your poverty to him. For whether you understand it or not, God loves you, is present in you, lives in you, calls you, saves you with an understanding and kindness like nothing you have ever read in a book or heard in a sermon. There is freedom available for us as we serve a generous God.